0: Welcome to the Latter-day Saint Women podcast, where we share the legacy of women of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. On this podcast, you'll get to know the faithful women who shaped our
1: past and hear from inspiring women of faith today. I'm Carly Guyman, And I'm Shailen Beck. We're your co-hosts. We're excited to welcome back to the podcast, Jenny Reeder. Jenny, thank you so much for being with us today. I'm so excited to be with you. We're so excited that you're here. Jenny Reeder is a 19th century women's history specialist at the church history department. She has a PhD in American history from George Mason University with an emphasis in women's history, religious history, memory, and material culture. And our listeners may remember her as one of the editors of the book At the Pulpit, which many of our episodes have focused on. Something else that's really exciting that Jenny has coming up is a book about Emma Smith that she's writing. So we'll have her back to talk about about that. that. (laughs) Yeah,
0: very excited about that.
1: And Jenny, today we'll be talking with you about Eliza Snow and a major project you've been working on about her life. But first, let's talk a little bit about Eliza. So you've studied her life and her messages so deeply and for a long time. And I imagine that's created a very personal connection with her. Most church members have a limited knowledge of Eliza's life and character they might know this, that she wrote, Oh, My Father, and she was very involved in Relief Society. But what are some things that you wish members of the church knew about Eliza Snow? There are so many interesting little tidbits
2: about Eliza. First of all, did you know that the R, um, her middle name is Roxy? And I love <laughs> that. so cute. <laughs> right? She, When she was young, she was educated in public schools in Ohio, in Portage County. And she loved poetry, so sometimes she would write out her assignments in poetic verse just because they were boring to her, so she tried to make them more fun. And one time, her teacher asked her to stand up and read her homework assignment, and she was so embarrassed because she knew she would start laughing in the middle (laughs) of it. She was a published poet, and that was her first opening into public life. It took her a couple of years to join the church. She had heard about it, but she wanted to make sure it wasn't what she called a flash in the pan. (laughs) She had seen many churches that started and fizzled out, but all her life she had wanted to be a part of a church like the ones found in the New Testament with prophets and apostles. So she studied for a couple of years before she was baptized, and once she was baptized, she was committed for the rest of her life. She moved to Kirtland. She taught school for the Smith family, Joseph Smith's family. She donated her inheritance to the Kirtland Temple. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, she was fully committed. And then her family moved to Missouri together, and that was, they lived in Diamond. That was a, a really hard time for her, and then they moved back to Nauvoo. And it's in Nauvoo that she again teaches school. She teaches school for all the people, right? She teaches (laughs) school for the Rigdons and for the Smiths again in Nauvoo. And then she teaches the Nauvoo school. Um, In 1843, she actually gives a speech to the students and their parents when the school semester ended. It's in her Nauvoo journal, and it's this long, beautiful speech about how much she loves them, and she hopes they'll continue learning. And it's really exciting. That's really sweet. Yeah, so another interesting thing that I love about her is that she was a real person. Um, when Brigham Young asked her to sort of restart the Relief Society, reorganize the Relief Societies in Utah, she was really excited. She she felt comfortable working with the bishops to help them to organize. But then he said, I'm going to call you on another mission. I want you to instruct the sisters. And the thought of public speaking freaked her out. She said, my heart went pit-a-pat. And you can just imagine that, right? You know how nervous we sometimes get to go up and bear our testimonies or to speak in church. That's how scared she was. But she learned to overcome that. I also love that she would tell women that they needed to speak too. I love that about her. Right? It reminds me of what President Nelson said um, in his talk, A Plea to My Sisters where he asked the women to speak up and speak out. She is saying that and telling them, don't be nervous. You'll get more confidence the more that you do it, but you need to have something to say. She wanted women to use their voices. She said, if you don't have something to say, bring something to read. She just wanted women
0: to speak. speak. Mm -hmm. And I love that because I think we so often assume these people who have achieved such confidence or comfort in whatever it may maybe public speaking or something else. You just assume they were always good at it. Right. It's good to see this growth over time and this progress and this work. She did it so much. Right. She became more comfortable. Yeah, she did, and she encouraged other women too. That's mm-hmm. what I really like. Mm-hmm. So Jenny, I think something as I learned more about Eliza, I don't think I fully understood her role and her influence in the Relief Society both as a founding member of the Nauvoo Relief Society, and then her role, like you've said, in kind of restoring it, bringing it back in Utah once the Saints had moved west. Can you teach us more about her role in the Relief Society from the beginning and throughout, and really what we as women and as a church owe to her and her work in the Relief Society?
2: Absolutely. It's a fascinating story. So Sarah Kimball and Margaret Cook, her seamstress, had decided in Nauvoo that they wanted to gather a group of women to sew shirts for the men working on the temple. So they gathered a group of their friends together. Eliza was not one of them. And they decided they were going to create a sewing society. And a really popular thing among women's organizations at the time was to have a constitution and bylaws. And Phoebe Rigdon was there. Eliza had taught Phoebe's family school and so Phoebe said, oh, I know the perfect person to write this constitution. It's Eliza Arshno." And Eliza had grown up. Her father was a justice of the peace and a county commissioner in Portage County, Ohio. And Eliza served as his secretary. So she knew sort of the ins and outs of, of that. So Phoebe and Sarah Kimball asked Eliza to write a constitution for this group. And she did. She was really interested in getting Joseph Smith's opinion. So she asked him about it. He said, this is the finest constitution I've ever seen, but I'm going to make something better of this. He later said that he wanted to organize the women that would later become the Relief Society after the order of the priesthood by the authority of the priesthood. So Eliza was there and she became the secretary, which I think is interesting. That's where she felt comfortable as secretary she does say though that she didn't know how to keep meeting minutes so she studied other organizations meeting minute books so that she would know how to keep minutes and it was really important to her to do it correctly and in order so she doesn't speak very much in the Navajo Relief Society there are only a couple of times where she says something Hmm. either that or she just didn't want to write she didn't include her comments yeah right that might be kind of weird so she took the Nauvoo Relief Society minute book with her across the plains. And then when Brigham Young in 1868 asked her to help organize relief societies, she took that minute book with her to many of these different relief societies. And some of them had been organized and were fine. Some of them had been organized and it wasn't the proper order. So she would say, we need to reorganize and we need to do it according to the order Good that this refer book. refer back. Right. So she very often would actually write the front page of their minute book, so it copied the Nauvoo Relief Society minute book. So she was very set on that order, mostly, I think, because she understood how Joseph had taught the women and how Joseph had realized that the full organization of the church wasn't perfect until the women were organized. Well, and I think what's so interesting is
0: how important that institutional knowledge was right she had actually been there she'd witnessed it she'd heard him speak about it and then she could and i just think of the dedication she hauled it with her across right. you know she thought it was that important that she brought it with her
2: and carried it with her and then shared that right and do we have that minute book i mean we do it? it's right now it is in the church history museum in their exhibit but it's digitized on the Joseph Smith Papers and on First 50 Years of Relief Society in the Church of Strains Press,
0: which they? are all available no. yes online. So there's something on the, on the Gospel Library app. Yes. At least First 50 Years. Yes, the first 50 years of the Relief Society.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes. So I found something one time. I was flip, before the exhibit started. I was flipping through it and I found a whole bunch of pressed little purple flowers. Wow. And wow. I have no idea who put them there what sure. kind of flowers they are you know if they were from crossing the plains if they were from nauvoo or if they were from utah but i love it it makes the book so feminine and yet so memorable it's a relic it's mm-hmm. and
1: real right mm-hmm. someone you, placed them yeah there. you can imagine someone putting them in there because they were meaningful to them yeah they wanted to keep them and they're still purple
2: you know they retain their color mm-hmm.
1: Well, Jenny, as you were talking, there were a couple of things that really stood out to me about Eliza and her experience. And first of all, I love hearing about the women organizing themselves to make the shirts for the men. But it's like we have our best ideas. We do our best. And then, you know, Eliza took it to the prophet and he's like, this is fantastic. This is great and the Lord is going to make it better. Mm -hmm. I just love that, that our efforts can truly be magnified no matter what Mm -hmm. they are. And I just, that was really meaningful to me. And then also just kind of seeing how she grows and how she improves and how, when she was called as the secretary, she was like, okay, I want to make this better. And so she goes out and learns how to make it better. And it's just, Mm -hmm. I just got called to be in the Relief Society secretary. And I'm (laughs) just thinking, okay, how can I, you know, make my calling better? Anyway, she's just very inspiring to me. Even just those few things that you shared I Mm -hmm. think she's just such an incredible woman. When I served a mission in Kirtland, giving tours of the Kirtland historic sites, I truly, some people might think this sounds strange, but I really felt like I became friends with some of these early saints because I felt like I knew them so well. And I was walking through the places that they lived and that they worked and that they served. And I just felt like we were friends. And I'm wondering if you feel that same way about Eliza. How do you, do you feel like you have kind of a close relationship with her? I do. I feel like she's with me. I feel like she's so grateful
2: that we on. Honor- and revere her today and that we respect her enough to appreciate her words and recognize that they are appropriate for us to learn from today. I feel like she wants this to be done accurately. I think that was such a part of her personality. So I feel like when we find something that we didn't know about before or when we are able to read the really hard handwriting of some 19th century secretary and figure out what it is, It's like she wants us to be accurate for her.
1: That's amazing.
2: So a
0: couple things, too, that I thought was so interesting in learning about her is that in Utah, she was involved in the founding of all the other women's organizations and with temple ordinances for women.
2: Yes. Let me talk first about temple ordinances for women, because the Relief Society in Nauvoo was organized in a way that Joseph could prepare these women to receive their temple endowments. And... Most of the first women to receive their endowments were members of the Relief Society. They had to prove their worthiness and their they ability. They were kind of already cleared, right? right. <laughs> totally. That was their temple recommend, Relief Society. And so Emma was the first woman to receive her endowment, and she then gave other women their endowments. Emma stayed in Nauvoo. Eliza came to Utah, and she became sort of, they didn't use the title matron, but she became the matron of first the women's temple work in the council house and in the endowment house. And as soon as the St. George temple was built, she went down south because she really wanted to be able to participate in that. So she also gave many women their initiatories and endowments. So, And she talks a lot about that in her discourses. She talks about the power of the temple and that women need to work out their own salvation and they're responsible for their salvation. So going back to the first part of your question, Carly, you asked about the Relief Society. Brigham Young had shut down the Relief Society in Nauvoo. There was so much going on with persecution and disloyalty and chaos that he figured we just need to focus on the very, very basics. But it's incredible to see, though, how women continued that Relief Society pattern in caring for each other in winter quarters and in crossing the plains, how they looked out for each other and did everything they could to help each other. They had already created that. Kind of charity was already at the core. Exactly. Of. Exactly. And once it's there, you can't pull it back out. (laughs) So in Salt Lake, they started relief societies actually in the 1850s, when again, they saw the need for charity. They saw the need of Native American women and children, and also the poor in their wards. And they started these, what they called Indian relief societies. For some reason, Eliza was not a part of that. Some people think that that's because she was so involved in the temple work for women. Sure. But in 1868, Brigham Young felt strongly it was time to organize the women as they had been organized in Nauvoo in their separate wards. And so he asked Eliza to help the bishops
1: organize the relief societies. And then he asked her to go around and instruct the sisters. It's such a different time because today, you know, the communication is just so different. I imagine that would be a very overwhelming but exciting mission very time-consuming because she traveled around the state going to each individual ward and I mean what a neat thing to have record of first of all but now it's just the communication is so much different and so right. much easier it's just amazing to kind of contrast mm-hmm. those times
2: right you know it's interesting because I think Eliza had a very central role because she was a plural wife of both Joseph Smith and Brigham Young and she had interaction close relationship with totally. both of them Totally. So she was in these inner circles and where Brigham Young couldn't travel out to all the settlements, she could. And Mm -hmm. so she would take um, his direction out to the hinterlands is what I like to call them, the teeny towns that were nowhere near anywhere else. But then when she was there, she didn't just deliver messages from Salt Lake, but she got to know the women and she invested in them and realized what their concerns and problems were and took that back to Salt Lake. And they loved her.
0: Yes, they did. And that kind of goes into our next question, which is, as we were preparing for this episode and reading through some of these resources and materials, we noticed that she accumulated quite a few titles and nicknames, right? People called her Zion's poetess. She was called the leader of all the women of the church. The Native Americans called her mother. One of these very small settlements, uh, this small relief site, he called her the president of the feminine portion of the female race. So, what can, you, yeah. <laughs> so what can you tell us about these nicknames and what they say about the love that the members of the church had for Eliza and the work that she did.
2: So that last one that you mentioned, that was in Kanab, Utah. And for those of you who don't know where Kanab is, it is a far-flung settlement. It is very south, but it's kind of central Utah. And when Eliza and Zina went to visit that settlement in February of 1881, they were so excited. They're like, nobody comes here from Salt Lake. We feel so lucky. So she goes and speaks. She speaks to some interesting groups. She does speak to some Native Americans in Indianola, is the name of their settlement, <laughs> in Thistle, Utah, near Thistle, Utah, and they do call. They say that she's fulfilling a prophecy for them as she is their mother. Um, she does speak also in Salt Lake City. There is a Scandinavian branch, and so she goes and speaks to them. And of course, it is translated into either Danish or Swedish. And so we've had to find people who could then retranslate that back into English for us. But it's fascinating to see how she reached such a wide variety of, of mm-hmm. women. Yeah. So Jenny,
0: you've talked about Eliza's close connection to the founding member, you know, to Joseph Smith, to Brigham Young. I would love to know what was her relationship like with Emma? I just think about if they you know, had been close, how, how hard that would be to then be separated. But I'd love to know what their relationship was.
2: Yeah, so they were very close. Eliza lived with the Smith family several times in Kirtland and in Nauvoo. She taught their family school, and she was good friends with Emma. So when she was sealed to Joseph Smith in June of 1842 as a plural wife, Emma didn't know about it. And when Emma found out about it nearly a year later, their friendship kind of crumbled And Eliza actually left town. So her last record of the Nauvoo Relief Society minutes was in July of 1843. And so she leaves Nauvoo. There are other assistant secretaries that take over after that. But then I think they kind of overcome the the tension that inherently would have been a part Mm -hmm. of that relationship or that friendship. After Joseph's death, when Emma has her last baby, David Hale Smith, in November of 1844, Eliza comes and visits her and writes a poem about this new baby oh
0: that's sweet
2: but they i don't think after eliza left nauvoo they never saw each other again and we don't have any record of correspondence between the two of them
1: that's interesting yeah and jenny you've been working on such an amazing project and it's amazing because you're working on a project where all of eliza snow's known speeches are being digitally published And so it's called The Discourses of Eliza R. Snow, and it's found on churchhistorianpress.org. And we just want to know, how did this project start and what it means for church members today?
2: Oh, you guys, I love this project. I am so excited for this project. So after we finished at the pulpit, we had realized the treasure that was in these Relief Society minute books. So back in the 19th century and even the first little part of the 20th century, Women would keep record of what happened in the Relief Society in a minute book. And I wish we did that now. Maybe you can do that in your Relief Society. That's <laughs> okay, so I'll, t- I'll take that note. <laughs> <laughs> so we had talked about finding some way to digitize the 19th century minute books. They were such a treasure trove in showing women from all over the church at local levels that we don't necessarily know now. That was like a ginormous task. But in the middle of that, we thought, why don't we collect Eliza R. Snow discourses? And it turned again into a, a huge task, Massive. Yeah. right? And so we looked through a lot of minute books and we found over a thousand discourses given by Eliza. Wow. We also looked through the woman's exponent because oftentimes wards would the send newspaper. in their, mm-hmm. their minutes or their records. And then we would try to go back, and sometimes we couldn't find the minutes. We knew she had spoken there, but we didn't know what she said. So there's a few places where we include those on our calendar of documents, but we
1: don't have those minutes. Mm -hmm. And so what can we expect as far as these being published? The website's up now, and there are some discourses. Can you tell us what to expect as far as when more will be released.
2: Absolutely. We decided to start with the discourses when she went out to organize Relief Societies under Brigham Young's counsel. So right now we have 50 discourses given between 1868 and 1869. Every quarter we'll have another batch, and there will be about 100 discourses in each batch that will be released quarterly.
0: And there's also some other great resources on that website, a chronology of her life and just more information
2: about her.
1: And some really great photos. Yeah, some
0: photos and
2: maps. So, yeah, the map, I think, is one of my very favorites. There's a map that has, it covers all of Utah territory, a little bit of Idaho, a little tiny corner of um, Nevada. And that map is lit (laughs) of all the places that she went to. And it's amazing, and you can zoom in. It's an interactive map, so you can zoom in and click on one of the dots, and it will take you straight to the discourse that she spoke at that location. So some of them she went to several times, of course, the Salt Lake Wards. She went up to Ogden several times, and so there are a bunch of different dots in those heavily trafficked mm -hmm. places, but it's fun to to see visually how that happens. Mm -hmm.
1: So you've talked about the incredible features of this website, and it is so exciting. It's great. I've looked at it, and I'm just wondering what you hope members of the church will take away from this. Like, how should we use um, such an amazing website and all of these resources? What are the practical applications of it for Mm -hmm. us?
2: As members of the church, this is an incredible resource for people to understand and learn about Latter-day Saint doctrine, especially from a woman's perspective. So I love the way that she really tries to empower women. And she talks constantly about how women are responsible for their own salvation. They cannot rely on their husbands or fathers or brothers, but they have to work out their own salvation. She talks a lot about the importance of Relief Society. And I love this, it's so beautiful. And I'm actually really sensitive to this right now during a pandemic where I can't go to Relief Society. She talks about how important it is for the women to come. She recognizes that women are busy at home and their first responsibility is to their children and their home. But she says, but you need to come and join with other women and you can make the embers of the Relief Society into a bigger fire. And then you can take those embers with you back to your home. She talks a lot about personal ministry what we call ministry today. She called teaching or visiting teaching. She said, when you go visiting teaching or when you're doing your personal ministry, it's not about going and begging for money or just delivering a message. It's finding out the spirit of that home and of that family. And if it's a cold home or a cold spirit, she says, you take that woman into your bosom and you hug her and love her and warm her up. So you're sharing these embers. Of the Relief Society, it's very poetic. It so is so beautiful, and she was a born poet. Yeah, yeah, very lyrical. So I love that. There are a couple of things that I think it's also important to realize that she does speak from a historical perspective, a historical context. So she does talk a quite a bit about polygamy. Of course, we don't practice that today, and it's not a part of our doctrine. But to her, it was at that time. It's a big part of her life. Yes, it was, and she wanted women to recognize that and to listen to the prophet's teachings about that. So can you tell us to
0: kind of what you hope or what you envision members in the church, you know, reading through start to finish, or how can they kind of incorporate this into maybe their gospel study or in teaching their families or in the church? How can we use this resource?
2: So one of the fun things about doing a website is that you can continually add and change things a little bit. They've started putting topics on general conference addresses. And so you can search by topic, and then you can bring up that topic, and it will lead you to all the general conference addresses. We want to do the same thing with Eliza. So if you're
1: interested in a certain topic, you can find it. So, Jenny, you mentioned things being organized by topics, and they're also organized by speakers. One of – something that I recently did that has been one of the best things I've ever done for my spirituality is I went through, and I listened to every talk given by President Nelson, who's the current prophet – and starting in the 1980s and it was just amazing to me that everything we're hearing about now has been taught all along Mm -hmm. you know you mentioned that you know it's important for us today to you know, see the doctrine of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from Eliza's perspective and from a woman's perspective. And that's how I felt with President Nelson, too. So I'm excited, after I feel like I made that connection with him and his messages, to then go and do the same thing for Eliza and understand her life a little bit better and the historical context, but also just how meaningful this doctrine is and how the things that she taught applies to us today. Kind of consistent. Mm -hmm.
2: One of the interesting things I think that we can see as part of Eliza's historical context or perspective is the way that women would do blessings of healing or speaking in tongues. And we don't practice that today, but we do. We do it a different way, and I think this is another thing that is so important for all of us, not just Eliza R. Snow, but it's important for me, Jenny Reeder, to learn how to expand definitions. And I think there are so many ways that as women we can help heal other people. We can listen to their broken hearts and lift them and comfort them and mourn with them. We can speak in tongues in the sense that we're not speaking um, a different Well, we may be speaking a different language as missionaries or even trying to understand someone who is speaking a different language, but our mouths can be opened and we can bear testimony, and that is also a gift of tongues. It's incredible what happens when we can actually expand our definitions of these things.
0: I like that. Is there anything else you would share about themes or messages in her discourses that maybe were especially poignant to you or that really resonated with you?
2: Yes, there are. I love the way that Eliza was so sure that women can and have so much to contribute. She talks about this sense of responsibility or duty that is incumbent upon women. And one thing that I really appreciate about Brigham Young is that he recognized that as well. And he would ask women or assign women to certain tasks. For example, Zina Young was assigned the mission of silk to help women learn how to make silk in Utah. And Eliza supports that and helps her. She also encouraged women to go to medical school. And I love that. And because of polygamy, actually, they were able to leave their homes because they had sister wives who could take care of their kids. She encouraged women to vote when Utah women were given the vote in 1870. In one meeting I read very recently, I think it was 1873, she said there's a convention next door so after this meeting i need you to go vote (laughs) so she was very active in civic affairs Uh that's very inspiring Mm -hmm. so i think a lot of times people may look at eliza or look at her picture she doesn't smile much in her pictures Um, but that's actually a trend in the 19th century in photography they had to hold very still for a a a while time Yeah, so hardly any woman or man is smiling in 19th century photographs. We probably heard stories about her getting mad at the young women and dressing frivolously, (laughs) which I probably would have been mad about too. (laughs) And she does say that quite often, is to keep your dress and fashion simple. But I think it's also important to recognize the very deep personable relationships she had with these women. She would often write poems to them or letters to them and they're they're so beautiful she was a very tender loving woman susie young gates once called eliza arsenault the head of relief society and Zaina, who was her counselor and became the third general relief society president the heart of relief society and when you put those two together it's it's a beautiful combination and it's so important. But Eliza did have a heart and she did love so many people and so many loved her back. She was so compassionate and she encouraged people to be so compassionate right.
0: and so loving and that I think certainly came from
2: Right. She practiced her. what she preached. Mm-hmm. So when she's talking about going into someone's house and recognizing the cold feeling, she warmed them up. So she knew what that meant and what it mm-hmm. and what could happen because of it. And the other message I feel like I saw a lot was
0: one of unity and how important it was that this, the sisters be unified with each other and that that came from love and charity and compassion and that they be unified with the brethren and the power that would come from that. And I think that's also a really oh, absolutely. Message.
2: She always, always recognized the importance of being unified with the priesthood and with the men, with the bishop, with Brigham Young. And that was her whole goal. And I love the way that she taught women to do that, too. We can't accomplish anything without being unified.
1: Jenny, why do you do the work you do, and
2: why are you so passionate about it?
1: Because I feel
2: these women with me, and I feel them whispering to me, and they want their words and their lives to be heard and to be known. They want that because they want us to know that our lives are very similar. Even though we're 200 years apart, We also face really tough trials and really hard situations. But because they were able to work through their hard situations, many of them, we can too. And we can have them with us, our angels, our ministering angels. It's amazing to be a part of this larger work. It's not just your own physical Relief Society, but it's this ginormous, huge Relief Society that's on both sides of the veil. And they can warm us up, just like our Relief Society sisters can warm us up. And I felt that and I love that.
1: Thank you so much. That was beautiful. And we just really appreciate you coming to share this expertise that you have, especially the closeness that you have of Eliza R. Snow and just to be able to highlight her incredible life and the amazing work that you've done to make her inspiring, you know, teachings and her experiences available to us today. Yeah, just thank you. Thank you. So thank much. you.
2: It's a
0: privilege to be a part of this project. So to our listeners, thank you so much for tuning into this episode. We hope that you enjoyed hearing from Jenny as much as we did. If you're enjoying hearing these stories and experiences from women, we would love to hear from you. Take a moment, leave us a rating or a review on whatever platform you get your podcasts. And also feel free to reach out to us with any feedback or ideas for future episodes. You can contact us
1: at podcasts at
0: churchofjesuschrist.org.
1: We would also love your help sharing the stories and experiences of the women interviewed and featured on the podcast. And if while you were listening, you thought of someone who might especially like today's message, we invite you to share it with them. Until next time, I'm Shaylin Back. And I'm Carly Guyman. Thanks again for listening.